welcome to another episode of The Root of All Business. This is your host, Jasper, and today's guest is Ralph Peterson. He's the owner and operator of a management development company that helps mission-driven organizations dramatically increase profitability, improve efficiency, and grow their companies by building five-star leadership teams. He's also a number one best-selling author, professional keynote speaker, and a highly sought-after management development coach and master examiner with the American Healthcare Association. Welcome to the show, Ralph. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We had a very interesting conversation before before we had our, today's podcast episode. Um, and today, obviously, we're going to talk about how do you get promoted and, and stay promoted? And you, you shared a very interesting uh, statistic with me. You mentioned, uh, you know, over 5 million people or 5 million people get promoted every year to leadership positions. And two thirds of that, almost 3 million, you know, don't make it past 90 days. 3.3 million. 3.3 million. That was very, very interesting. 3.3 million fail in the first 90 days. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's very interesting. So, what, what do you look for? Why do these people fail? So what do you look for when you're, when you're promoting someone? Well, honestly, and you know what, this is, the, this is the biggest challenge. Any non-manager or somebody, not just non-managers, but a lot of people will say when somebody's failing, they'll, they'll always point out the obvious. And the obvious is just because they're a good worker doesn't mean they could be a good manager. And that, of course, is true. But we don't have any choice, those of us in management development, those of us who are looking to promote the next people under us, we don't have the choice. We can only look for the good worker, the super worker, the person who comes in on time, the person who does really well at their job, the person who gets along with others, the person who's reliable and trustworthy. Of course, that doesn't, make the, doesn't mean that they're going to be a good manager, but could you imagine the opposite? Could you imagine if... You had an open position, management position, and you're like, oh, you know who we should hire? Oh, I can't think of her name. She's not here right now because she called out again, Um, but she'd be really great at leadership. No, she wouldn't. If she's the type of person who is calling out all the time, you would be laughed out of your business by your employees if you promote the worst worker. It has to be the best employee. So that's what we're always looking for. I'm always on the lookout for people who are hardworking, articulate, they dress nice, they smile, they're pleasant, they take their work seriously, they do a good job. I look for them all the time because then the next question I ask once I find them is, have you ever thought about being in leadership? Here's the truth. 80% of people I ask say, absolutely not. Nope, no chance, not interested, don't want anything to do with it. So of the 20% that I get, you know, about two thirds of them will fail in the first 90 days for a whole host of reasons. So it's what's so important about knowing all of that is because we are starving for leadership in every industry all across the world, every country, we're starving for people to lead us in the smallest ways and the largest ways. We have a huge, huge shortage of managers, people who can effectively manage people. So that both parties get a win. I mean, that's effective management. The company wins and the employee wins. That's effective management. Here's what I've uh, here's here's been what my experience, and I'm, I'm, I want to know your opinion on that. I, I personally think a lot of people get confused between a, a leadership role and a management role. 
it's I think it really comes down to responsibility. And then that's what that's what's been my experience. A lot of people want to get into that leadership role, but they don't want to be doing managing people in the sense that they don't care someone phoning in sick every day. They don't want to deal with that aspect of it. Would you would you agree with that? It has become the hottest topic because nobody wants to be a manager anymore. Everybody wants to be a leader. As a matter of fact, all job routines have changed. Instead of looking for a, you know, a, a service manager, you're looking for a leader of the service department. I think, I think it's, it's almost a two-step, but I also think it is a, um, a difference in aim. So I think that you can't be an effective leader, certainly not systematically, which means repeatable over time, if you are not first a very good manager. Managing is the building blocks of leadership. People can lead without being in a management position, but not systematically, not repeatedly, not over time and time. You can't repeat being a leader if you're not really good, if you're not in a leadership position, in a management position. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say, the big difference between leadership and management in my experience is, let's talk about management. Management, if, if we were, if you and I were going to go paint a house or a room in a building, I could go in there and I could have two different approaches with you. I could bring in the paint and the tarps and the paintbrush. And I could say, hey, listen, we're going to paint this room. They want the top half to be this soft blue. And then the bottom half is going to be white. And just put the tarps down. Make sure you don't get anything on the floor. And you, you know, I'll come back at three o'clock and that's when it's going to be done. So you have only a certain amount of time to get it done. And we just, you know, make sure you don't make a mess and put enough paint on the wall. That's effective management. I just told you what needed to be done. And I gave you the parameters. I gave you the tools. Totally effective management. I can go back in and check on you. That's management. I'm aiming at your head. I'm reasoning with you. I'm telling you exactly what's making sense. Now, if I was the leader, if I was trying to just do it in a leadership way, not if I was a leader, but if I was putting on my, my leadership hat instead of the management hat, I could say to you, let's say it's a room in a building. I'd bring you into the room in the building and go, this room, it doesn't look like much right now, but once we get done painting this, I mean, they're going to have weddings in here, and they're going to have bar mitzvahs in here, and they're going to have birthday parties and celebrations. This room is used for so many different functions. It's so great. So it's super important that we, get, we don't make a mess. We don't make a bigger mess. It's going to be this beautiful blue on the walls and crisp white on the bottom. Do you see what I did? I'm changing my aim. I'm now aiming at your heart. I mean, I'm aiming at your emotions because now you're part of a larger thing. You're not just painting the walls. You're creating a space for others to have wonderful experiences. It might seem like I've used this example a lot. It might seem like I'm just kind of using a weird example, but there really is a dichotomy between, between leading and managing. And it's really just about the aim. If you ask anybody to point at themselves, just, just do it. If nobody's watching this video right now, if they're just listening... Just go ahead and randomly point at yourself for a quick minute. Now my question is, where are you pointing? Mo- I've never seen anybody point at their head. Everybody points at their heart. See, that's how we identify. When you tell me to point at myself, I point at myself. I'm pointing at my heart. I never point at my head, right? Managing points at the head. Leading points at the heart. Leading, imagine that. You want to follow them because they're pulling on your heartstrings. You love that leader because they're that you consider that boss a leader because they pull in your hearts and their emotions. It's an all for one, one for all. You know, everybody is a team. Everybody's going in the same direction. You can see the big vision. That's the power of leadership, but it comes from a place of management. Right. How do you kind of... I might be a little uh, passionate too. Yeah. So let me just... <laughs> no, passion is good. That's, that's a good way of showing leadership, right? 
Um, how how do you kind of uh, you know someone moving to that position of leadership or management, if you like, you know, who's going to manage a bunch of people? How do they transition in and not get into the pitfalls of you know? I'm sure you have seen it, and I've definitely seen this. You know, someone gets promoted within the team. And then everybody kind of seems all of a sudden against them. How do you kind of win people over? Every, most people, this is my, my experience, most people start to think, you know, oh, now, now you're the big guy, you're, the, you're calling the shots, your, your attitude's changed, you know, you're talking down to people. Perhaps that person's not doing that, but everybody perceives them that way. Maybe when they weren't expecting this person to be chosen to be the teammate. How do you kind of win people over and not make the same common mistakes? It is, first of all, it's a fantastic question because it is, it is very challenging to go from being the coworker to being the supervisor in the same team. It's very challenging, but it has to happen. There's, it, we just simply have to promote somebody out of that group. And I think one of the best things that we can do is turn it on its head. I tell my new managers and I'm promoting, I say, once this promotion goes through, I want you to go down and have a meeting with all the staff all at once. And I just want you to hear what they have to say. Like, I've been in this with you. I've been working beside you. I know some of the issues that we've had. And I know, I, I know that I can see some ways to fix it. But I want your help too in helping me fix and make stuff work better. At the end of it though, I want my new manager to press to be very specific. And I want them to use these words. They didn't promote me to be in charge of you. They promoted me to be responsible. I am responsible now for the whole, I've agreed to take on the responsibility for the outcome of the job. I'm not specifically responsible for you. I'm responsible for the job to be done. And with your help, I'm going to be able to get it done. That's way different than I am now in charge of you do what I say. Now, I should couch this or should I, I should bookend this with saying, I am not a wishy-washy manager. I do not believe in kumbaya, high fives, rainbows, and puppies. That's not how you effectively manage. It takes a strong person to manage. I have a very hard, very large stick, and I know how to use it. I mean, that's, you do have to have that. Um, also, I promote brand new managers and work with the brand new managers all the time. And the number one thing that gets in their way, one of the things that gets in their way, is the perception that they go from being a, an employee to now they are in charge and they have all the power. The first thing you learn when you're in leadership in position of management, man, you have no power <laughs> not at all. Unless it's the power of persuasion, you're not going to get anything done because people just will not, they'll work against you if you pull that. It's way easier to digest. It's way easier to overcome when you under, explain it as I'm responsible now. I, this is my, why am I asking you? Why should you listen to me? Because I'm responsible for this whole job. I'm responsible to get it done. And if you won't help or if you work against me, then I'm, my responsibility is to get someone else to take your role. Because at the end of the day, I need to get from point A to point B. I, I want to do it with you. I want to do it with all of you. If I can't, then I can't. But that's not my call. That's your call. Sure. And, and I know you mentioned your, your background was more into promoting and working with maids in the hospitality industry. That's right. Housekeeping. And, housekeeping, rather. And what was some of the challenges for you? Because I can imagine that's a very uh, high turnover, staff turnover industry. And how did you make sure that you have a conveyor belt of people that are coming through? Because a lot of organizations talk about, you know, we have this leadership program, we have this program that will build you to become a leader, the, or if you have potential to develop it, but not much comes out of it. There's always the natural 
born leaders, if I can say that, that or, or people that have that strong personality to do the job that get the job. I haven't seen somewhere where they've had these programs and I've seen people being developed into that. It's either you have it or you don't, or if, if you have that strong personality to do it. How did you kind of you know, deal with that side of it? Well, in housekeeping, there are sometimes I've worked in some places where we didn't have any turnover, you know, like we just had a solid staff and they worked really well together and everything was really great. And I've worked in buildings where we had 90% turnover, couldn't keep staff to save our lives. And the number one thing I learned through this whole process of working in housekeeping and promoting people to housekeeping management positions, because quite frankly, there's not like you can go, nobody, nobody in high school goes, hey, I'm, I'm looking to become a housekeeping manager. Nobody does. Nobody does. Everybody comes into housekeeping management usually because they simply outworked everybody else in housekeeping because they had a car. <laughs> you know, they could get to work on time. Yeah. It's nobody's childhood dream to be a housekeeping manager or to be a housekeeper. We find our way there. It's a wonderful job. I'm not dissuading the job at all. I'm just saying it's not, it's not a child's dream to be a housekeeper or a housekeeper manager. So recruiting from that pool and trying to figure out people who, can have, who do have some abilities that you can develop. But housekeeping is a contact sport. Management is a contact sport. You may not be very good. You might lose your job the first time, but then you know, get promoted again and then get fired and get promoted again and get fired. That's certainly what happened to me. I just kept getting fired, getting it wrong, getting it wrong, getting it wrong. I'll tell you the number one thing that I learned on how to work effectively in a housekeeping department that had huge high turnover, huge high turnover, was I learned how to serve my staff. And by serving my staff, I simply mean I used to be the type of manager who you could find all the time. You know where I was? In my office. Right. Anytime I was in the building, you can come find me. Ralph's in his office. You could call me. I'm super quick. I can answer that phone in a heartbeat. You know where I should have never been in my office? Where I should be is walking the floors, serving my staff. And what that means by serving your staff is every employee that you have, it doesn't matter if it's housekeeping or auto mechanics or you're a school teaching administrator, it doesn't matter what it is. Every one of your staff members are running up against a problem. And with you not being there for them, you're asking them to solve it on their own, which seven, eight, nine out of 10 times, totally fine. They can handle it. But that one time that they can't handle it, everything is going to come to a stop. Everything's going to come to a screeching halt. So in nursing homes, we have what we call semi-private resident rooms where two residents would share one room. And it's only pri- the only privacy they have is a curtain, a literal curtain. It's called a privacy curtain and it divides the room in half. So there was this curtain. And of course, these curtains, as anything like that would, gets dirty because if you can reach it, you use it to wipe your mouth, whatever, right? So the curtain would always have to be changed and cleaned, taken down and washed. What I realized was I was, I would catch my staff having to, they'd be down in the basement looking around for stuff. I'm like, what are you looking for? I need a cubicle curtain. I need a privacy curtain. I'm like, oh, I don't know where they are. And they'd look around. I would think that, you know, they're going to find it. Of course, all they're thinking is, who's this guy who won't even help me find a cubicle curtain? Did he not know I was not going to need one? And of course, I didn't know because I spend all my time in my office. 
I wasn't walking the unit. I wasn't looking in resident rooms. And so it was that little thing where I went, wait a minute. If I got them a cubicle, if I looked in the room and saw what cubicle curtains they needed and what color, by the way, they're all color coded, pink ones for girls rooms, blue ones for boys room. And if you put a pink one in a boys room, forget it, right? You're just <laughs> always getting yelled at. And I'm not getting yelled at. My housekeepers were getting yelled at as if it was their fault. Guess whose fault it was? It was my fault. But now they're taking the blame for me. So it was never, never, never working out well. The day that I decided, as stupid as this is, but the day that I decided that I was going to make sure that my housekeepers had the right cubicle curtain for the right room before they needed it was the time I found the value of serving my staff, meaning I'm going to proactively figure out what they need anticipate what they need before they need it. So that when they need it, it's right there. I already, yeah, I know it's there. You already needed that box. I had the box. You needed the cubicle curtain. I had that. I saw that you were going to run out of chemical. I saw your mop heads needed to be changed. I saw you needed a new broom. So I got it for you already. I want to work for that person. And what I found out was, so does everyone else. Even though they didn't want to work in housekeeping. See, when people leave you, they either leave you with good stories or bad stories. They're telling their friends, don't work there. That guy's a jerk. Or they're saying, it's housekeeping. It's a crappy job, but you'll love working for him. What would you rather? Right? I mean, I still had problems keeping staff. People still were just taking the job to work because they needed the job. Nobody still wanted to make it their career. But I was getting their friends coming in, their kids coming in, going, no, my mom used to work here. She said that maybe you were hiring. No bigger compliment than that right there. Yeah, you never leave your uh, company, you leave your boss. That that is true. You don't want that to happen, that's true. (laughs) You know, when you're kind of promoting from within the company or developing talent and kind of promoting within, that has one set of challenges. And what about when when you're bringing someone from outside in, someone that's not familiar with the culture? And I know a lot of organizations do not spend the time, do not kind of, higher on the basis of, you know, you know, we get it, you can do the job, we know you have the skills, you know, we know you have the personality, but you got to understand we run the company in a certain way. You know, there's a culture, there's a certain way of we do things, certain way we think. They never do that. Most people get hired, you know, A, he can do the job based on skill sets and, you know, he's done that before and therefore that equals, yes, you know, you came across well and then you're hired. And I've seen that where a manager comes in and he knows what he's talking about. He's kind of, you know, that high energy person. And, you know, you kind of go, you know what? At last we have someone who can soon, you start to see the energy starts to go down. They start to <laughs> learn that the, the management above them is not kind of, you know, the staff tells them they don't want to look bad. They, they tell them, and this certainly happened to me where I go in and go, you know, that's all good, but you don't understand the management above you isn't quite listening to our ideas or our issues. And that's why the last guy left. And, and then now you have come in. How do you kind of work that one? You know, the new manager, new person coming in from external does not, does not know the full scale of issues. Yeah, I got to say that that's one of my biggest challenges. I just interviewed a guy, a young man, right before this call. I have a management position open. And he's smart. And he's articulate and, you know, you just have a good vibe about him. And I really think he'd be a real good addition. I think he'd make a good manager. But right before we hang up, I say, 
if we give you this opportunity, and I'm totally leaning towards it because I really, really like him. I said, I, I need you to do me a favor and understand that I'm not hiring you because you're smart enough to rework all my job routines. And I'm sure you are. I'm not hiring you to identify problems in my business strategy. And I'm sure you're capable. I'm hiring you to run the routine the way I have it written, in the job the way I have it written. Now, I only say that not to be disrespectful to him, but because what happens is every new manager comes in and they, they spend their time trying to change the... I don't think the sign on the door should read that way. I'd like the sign to read this way, as if the sign on the door matters, right? But they may just start changing big things. Instead of the staffing being this number, I, I think we should do this number. And I say with peace and love, that's what I want you to do. I want you to run my system the way it is written by me to the letter for three months. Give me three months. It's my company. I've, I, trust me, you do not know why I have these. And you may be right. You may have an idea. You may have a system, a policy, a process that you've come across in your past. That makes more sense than mine. I'm more than willing to hear it in three months. Give me three months of just learning by system so that you can have a full fundamental understanding. That is the hugest killer to a manager who's got experience that comes in and they already know how somebody else does it. Not interested in how somebody else does it. I'm interested in how well you can make what I do. I want what I do. And then the, the next piece to that is after that three months, I do have to listen to them. I do have to say, how would you change this? What would, what would make sense for you? But I don't just do that for my managers. I'm interested in that with my staff. I do that with my staff all the time. I'm always curious about how it works. I always tell them what the manager's intent is. My intent is to paint this room. And this is how I intend, that's how I think we should do it. We should split up these two people on either side. We should trim it out first and then roll it. Or do you think we should roll it first and then trim it out to see how much we have trim we have to do? What would you do? You see, I'm giving the I gave the, the manager's intent. Manager's intent, we're going to paint this room. And I can see that we can do it in a couple of different ways. We can work side by side or we can split it up. We could roll first and then trim, or we could trim and then roll. What makes the most sense? Maybe one person trims, one person rolls. And then they're going to put their heads together and go, you know what, best, you know what I think we should do? Oh, yeah, you think that? You know what? At the end of the day, my intent is to get the room paint. Yeah. So I'm going to step back. As long as I give them the parameters to work and let them do it and let them have a little bit of say, it makes a whole, makes it, listen, I want to have say. So everybody does. We all want to feel valued and we all want to feel like, you know, be heard. And we're all very smart and capable. If you're working, you're smart and you're capable and you're valuable. And especially if you're working for me, I love everybody who works for me. I really do. They're very smart, hardworking. And again, I work in housekeeping. I work in laundry. I work in dietary. I work in these unskilled, quote unquote, labor markets. And we're just the salt of the earth. We're just the most creative, hardworking, problem-solving people you'll ever meet. We're really great. Really great. I was was reading this somewhere, an article about a few weeks ago, and they mentioned about it takes someone to fully be integrated in their job, but just about two years. And we know right now in an average job, is around 18 months and then people leave and, and then kind of move on. So you're, how never much, how much, <laughs> yeah, you're never really integrated, right? And I know you said, you know, you tell the, the person that you're hiring or promoting, you know, 
give them a certain amount of time, three months to kind of learn your job and then, you know, bring your idea so you understand where mm-hmm. I'm coming from. Now, someone that's kind of coming in into kind of how much time do you give them? I know it may be three months for you, but how much time do you think it's realistically do you give someone to really integrate, learn about the environment, about their people, uh, about their role itself and about themselves before they start going, you know what, now I'm in a position to make a change. How, how would you kind of find that sweet spot if you like? I don't know that there's a time with it. I think it, I had a manager, this great guy named Adam. When, when you work, in my experience, when it's time to go home, everybody goes home, right? It's three o'clock, it's quitting time. It's hard to find somebody there at 3.30, right? I had this manager, this young kid, Adam, working for me. And I remember driving by his building. He was running a nursing home for me as a housekeeping director. I was driving by at like 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. And there was eight people out back on the dock just talking, joking. I pull in. They're all his employees. I'm like, didn't we? They, yeah, we punched out at 3. How are you still here at 4.30? We punched out at 3. That's the kind of atmosphere he had. He was always so super inclusive and getting everybody to get to know each other and like each other and joke around with each other that nobody wanted to leave. He had such an ability to take a brand new staff member. And after a week, that brand new staff member felt completely included. And then I've worked with other managers who never do that for their staff. There's never a potluck dinner. There's never a, you know, hanging out after work and just and doing nice things. It's never, you know, and here in the United States, a few years ago, we, I don't know how, what it's like in, in England, but we have salaried employees and we have non-salaried employees. So hourly, they get paid hourly or they get paid a salary. And the salary is, it's probably, you're doing the same thing where it doesn't matter yeah. how many hours you work if you're in a management position. And there was some talk a few years ago of changing or raising the salary limit like by 10 or $15,000, which would have, it was such a high number that it would have forced a lot of housekeeping companies like mine to stop paying salary to my managers instead make them hourly. And one of the biggest fears I had was I would lose Adam's ability to do that because Adam, wow. Adam would stay till 4.30 because he didn't punch a clock because he was a salaried employee, salaried manager. So he was never on the clock, off the clock. And so he just kept working and he would keep training and keep explaining well after the clock was over. But if I put him on a time clock and said, Hey, you have to punch in and punch out. I mean, once he punched out, I mean, he's punching out. I mean, that whole act of I'm out of here. I'm not getting paid anymore because when he's salary, he'd stay till 6 p.m. because he's still getting paid because he always is getting paid, you know? And we're always afraid of losing that. It didn't happen. They increased it, but then it didn't stay so that we could still have some, you know, so it wasn't so expensive. But what about I don't think you? that kind of uh, change or it kind of shows to employees or people that, you know, your only motivation to be at work is it's the amount of money you get paid. There isn't something you're kind of, you can't bring in your ideas or passion. You're getting, you're, the reward that you're getting is pretty much on time based. I think that's, that's what it really comes down to. And, and I've known people like that too, where, you know, they, they, they stay, to, you know, work is finished five o'clock. Most people are gone home and they're still till, you know, eight, nine. 
most days and, you know, don't even question or say, you know, you know, yesterday I was here till nine and they, and they carry on doing that work. And suddenly when the, when someone, new person, a new management or new, new leader comes in and they change the outputs, inputs start to change as well. Absolutely. Which was very, very interesting to see. And you have this, you know, five kind of rules of management. Um, I'd love for you to talk about a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So when I first promote a manager, I go over what my five rules of management are. I have five simple rules and one caveat. So the five rules are real basic. Managers are not allowed to walk by trash. And that's pretty easy, right? You probably, the way you got promoted is because you're probably the type of person who doesn't walk by trash. You know, and somebody recognized. They're like, oh, you look at Look at that girl. She's always, she never even walks by trash. She's really great. And that's how we decide to promote. Managers always have to look like they're in charge. You have to be identifiable as someone in charge from afar. You can't, you can't blend in. And I know that we want to. I think one of, the, my, one of my favorite stories about animals is about a zebra. Did you know that, that for the longest time, Scientists had no idea why zebras were black and white striped. Do you know why zebras are black and white striped? No idea. Because it makes no sense. They live in the Sahara Desert, right? It's all brown and green and blue. Like, why are they black and white striped? So these these scientists, this is a terrible story, but these scientists were, they were trying to track the migration patterns of zebras. And so they grabbed a couple and they tagged their ear with a big yellow tag and it had a little microchip in it. And then they let it go because they wanted to see where they were migrating to. And something terrible happened. Every zebra that got tagged with a yellow tag got eaten by a lion. Every one of them. Wow. And so it made the research scientists sit back and go, uh, oopsie, that's not exactly the outcome we were after, right? Like, that's not what you wanted to have happen. But what they figured out is a lion cannot tell where a zebra begins and ends when there's a bunch of zebras in a pack. Wow. But if you put a yellow flag in there, all of a sudden they can see that yellow flag and they can follow it. That's why when you see packs of zebras, the babies or zebras that get injured, they'll put it in the middle of the pack so they don't get outside the wings because if they get away from the pack, they're easily identified by lions and hyenas. And I use that example because I know a lot of managers who want to dress just like the staff because there are customers out there that are like that alliance that is waiting to chew you up, to yell at you, to call you on things, to say this and say that. And so there's a lot of people who just want to dress like, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to stand out. You cannot be effective. You can't be an effective police officer. You don't have a police officer's uniform on. First of all, I'm not even going to believe you are a police officer. <laughs> Right. I'm not going to run to you if I'm in trouble, if you're in plain clothes. You have to be in a police officer's uniform. So that's rule yeah. number two. You have, to, you have to look like you're in charge. You have to look different. Different. It doesn't have to be better. It certainly can't be worse. But it has to be different. I know on construction sites, it'll be the color of the hard hat. The most color hard hat, if they're all blue, those are all workers. And all of a sudden, you'll see a, a white one. You're like, oh, that's a foreman. Then you see a random red one. You're like, oh, that's the guy who runs the whole job site. They're color-coded by their position so that you can see, oh, I know, I know who the foreman is. The white hard hat is foreman or blue hard hat is worker. So you have to stand up. You have to be able to be identifiable. The third thing is that you have to always, always, always be on time. One of the biggest mistakes every, 
every single new manager I have ever worked with, ever, the biggest mistake they make is they think they were promoted to a God status instead of a management status. And what I mean is once they get the, the management card, like, oh, and I'm now in charge, now all of a sudden they get to decide what time they get into work. They can be a little late because nobody's watching them. They're watching everybody else. So you can come in instead of at 8 o'clock and coming in at 8.10. What are you going to say? I'm the manager now. I get to do that. That's a perk of being a manager. Or I get to leave at 2.30 instead of 3 o'clock because that's the perk of being a manager. Here, let me be the one to make that clear to you. That is not a perk of management. That is somebody taking advantage of a management position. And it's terrible and you shouldn't do it because it makes you completely ineffective as a manager. A manager should always be on time. You have to lead by example. If you're not on time, your staff are not going to be on time. And the staff that are on time are not going to have any respect for you who are constantly, you can't be a minute late when you're in management. You can't be a minute. Everyone is watching every single thing you do all the time when you're in a leadership position. It just, welcome to the glass house. You don't have the opportunity to hide anymore, not when you're in leadership. So always be on time. Rule number four is you always have to get your work done. What got you in this position in the first place is that you were a super great worker. You were the type of person who got your work done. And you have to continue to be that type of person. A lot of times I run into new managers and a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, I'm finding them, I'm finding out that they're bringing home their work. Nothing drives me more crazy than a manager bringing their work home. Nothing drives me more crazy. You know why? It's because here in the United States, maybe even there, we have this show called Dancing with the Stars. And it's really <laughs> great. It's a lot of fun. But that's what I'm competing with. So I'm having a manager try to write a report in the 30 seconds between commercial breaks of Dancing with the Stars. They're like, oh, and then we're going to do, oh, it's back on. And they're, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be Dancing with the Stars. It could be the kids, dinner, laundry, the lawn needs to be mowed. You name the issue. I'm competing with. When I'm paying them to just sit in their office and get it done at work, instead, they're not getting it done. They're doing something else. And they're saying, oh, I'll just bring my work home. Stop bringing your work home. Drives me crazy. So be a good worker. Continue getting your work done. That's rule number four. And rule number five is you have to be visible. People have to see you there. Don't walk into, walk into the building and go right to your office. Don't walk into the factory and just go right. You've got to walk that factory floor. If you work at a supermarket, you've got to walk that supermarket. Let every single person see you. Do you guys have ways where you're in, in England, the app? Ways. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ways. Oh my yeah. gosh. So app ways, if you don't know, it's a GPS and it's user led. So people can say, Hey, there's fog up here or there's a pothole or there's animals on the side of the road or there's construction. And my favorite is it says, Hey, there's a police officer. I love it when it says, Oh, there's a police officer. You know what I do when I see on my app, there's a police officer coming ahead. I slow down, right? I pay attention. I don't break the rules. So a couple of months ago, I was training some New York City police officers and just having a general conversation about management. I'm super curious about how, what it's like to be, I even went on a ride along a couple of years ago where I got to ride an overnight with a police officer because I'm really curious, management development specialist is what I do. I'm really curious about how you go into a situation and you're in charge. How, do you, how does a police officer go into a chaotic position or situation where they're in charge? And the two people that, that's in that other situation, 
they don't want them to be in charge. They didn't ask them to be there. They don't respect their authority, right? It's like chaotic, you know? I'm super interested in that. So I'm working with these police officers and I asked them about this new app, the Waze app, and how do you feel about it? And how's it working with police and all that? And there was a young cop in the back. He goes, I use it to check in. And I said, what does that mean? What do you mean you use it to check in? He goes, well, when I get to my position where I'm going to be for the morning, I have coffee and a donut. I'll get into the, in front of the interstate. I'll pull up the Waze app and I will say, hey, I'm right here. They'll check in. He goes, I identify myself on the app. And then you know what happens? Everybody slows down. Nobody speeds in front of me and I can enjoy my coffee. <laughs> I just think it's so great because it really leads to, it, it really it highlights the importance of being seen. If you as a leader walk into your office, walk into your building, walk into your restaurant, walk into your grocery store, factory, and you just go right to your office and nobody sees you, nobody knows you're there, and they're not getting done and not doing what they're supposed to be doing because they don't know you're there, then you know, you're know you not going to be seeing them. But if you just take a walk, you don't have to say anything. Just take a walk out onto the unit, walk out onto the floor, walk out onto the factory, walk into, through the grocery store, let everybody see you, and then right behind you would become this wave of, oh, no, Ralph's here. Oh, did you, no, he is here. I saw him earlier. Yeah, you better get that done. I saw him. He's here. That's how it works. It's so super great. But those are five simple rules. Don't walk by trash. Dress appropriately, like stand out, be that you're in charge. Get all you get to work on time, get your work done, and be visible. Simple, right? You can do that, can't you? Anybody Absolutely, can do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's real easy. Here's my caveat. I have one small but, and it's with the picking up trash. And this is where this is where we're going to either decide you have the ability to be a manager or you do not. Let's make the decision now. Managers are not allowed to walk by trash and they are not allowed to pick it up. Wow, okay. Now what are you going to do? You only have two choices. You can say, well, then I'll just stand there all day. It's probably not going to be helpful. Or you can tell somebody else to pick it up. Well, in that situation, If you do not have the ability to tell somebody to pick up trash that they didn't put there, that you don't know who put it there, you don't know how long it was there, you don't even know what it's made of. If you don't have the ability to tell somebody to pick it up, you cannot ever be an effective manager. That's, that's, that's the litmus test right there. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. And I'll tell you, when I'm interviewing or trying to promote a new manager and I tell them that, you can see it on their face. Uh, I, can't, I couldn't do that. No, nope, couldn't do that. And listen, 85% of the people of, of all employees cannot do, are not comfortable. They'd rather pick it up themselves, which of course... It's one of the biggest sins of new managers is they do everything themselves. I'll just do it myself. I'll just do it myself. Listen, if you could do it all yourself, I wouldn't hire any staff. I would just hire managers and have them do everything. <laughs> But the truth is, is it, is it because, is it because uh, you know, when you were saying this, you know, one thing that came to my mind is perhaps they don't want to confront someone and they had this confrontation of, you know, this is what, this is how it translates for me in my industry technology where you know, a problem comes, you know, you were on the help desk service desk a long time ago. And I remember an issue comes in and a certain member of the team gets picked, you know, you know what you're doing. Can you, can you have a look at this? Another issue comes in. It only seems that all the issues are being dealt by serious issues. P1, priority one issues are being dealt by this one person. And then that person goes, why me? There's other people in the team. And what most managers I see that don't want to do is don't want to be in that zone of conflict. And by 
giving me that problem, A, they're going to look bad if I can't fix it or, or someone else. And they just give it to their A players. But by doing that, they're also risking losing them. But I think what really comes down to it in that scenario is people don't want to get into conflicts. The managers don't want to get into conflicts. And that's hence they won't tell anyone. And that's totally fine. I know a lot of people, it's fine to not want to get into a conflict and to avoid it, not be comfortable with it. But you can't be a manager. See, one of the things that I grew up, my mom taught me, and, and I'm sure your mom and dad taught you as well, is that to get respect, you have to give it. You should treat people the way you want to be treated. Have you ever heard that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of yeah. course. Right. We've all heard that. Well, what you find out quickly in management is sometimes you have to treat people the way they need to be treated. And they need to be treated way differently than you would want to ever be treated. As a manager, and if you are in a leadership position right now, and this has not happened to you, just count your lucky stars or your lucky days, because sure, it's only days before it will happen. Every manager has to have the ability to have difficult conversations with difficult people. There's no way around it. You're going to have to talk to somebody about a difficult situation, whether it's a work performance issue, a, a getting to work on time issue, a, a conflict issue with a coworker or a coworker, an attitude issue, a, a policy issue. And the person who's going to be hearing it is not going to be happy about it. They're going to be contentious. They're going to push back. They're going to roll their eyes. They're going to give you attitude. They are, in short, going to be difficult. We have to have difficult conversations with difficult people. That's the job of management. And yes, that means it's confrontational. And if you cannot, it's not comfortable. I'm not looking for somebody who just got, I'm like, hey, how are you at confrontation? Oh, I love it. I can't wait to piss somebody off and have somebody get in my face. It's just the greatest thing ever. No, no, no. It's uncomfortable for all of us. The difference between an effective manager and an ineffective manager is the effective manager does it anyway, has the conversation anyway. Eyeball to eyeball, this is what I need. This is what you're doing, and this is what I need you to do. And you just stop this, and I need you to do that. New managers are, they struggle the most with it. The idea of writing up an employee, documenting, hey, this is an employee warning notice. It is the most challenging thing for new managers and the number one reason they get fired. I'll tell you, the, when I said two-thirds of all first-time managers fail in the first 90 days, it is because they never get over their fear of telling other people to do something. Instead, they try to do it themselves. And you can pick up a piece of trash here and there. You might even be able to pick up, if you're walking enough as a manager, you might be able to pick up a couple pieces of trash in an hour. That's great, but you'll never get it all. You'll never be able to get all the job done. You need staff to do it, and you need to be clear with your expectations. And if they don't do it, you need to be able to talk to them about doing it, and you need to be able to make that decision for them because all problems, all leadership is broken down into two things. There's called high levels of leadership and low levels of leadership. Any problem that happens, let's say, a, a job didn't get done. A job doesn't get done for only two reasons. One, it was the employee's fault. That means they got there late. They don't feel well. They didn't stay on task. They work too slow. They're given more attitude and th than they are doing work. 
That's a, that's a low level management problem that quite frankly, every manager in the world doesn't want to deal with. What we all in management want, we want high level management problems because the only other problem it could be is that it's not the manager, the employee's fault. So either it is the employee's fault or it's not the employee's fault. I love it when it's not the employee's fault. That means a machine broke, a process doesn't work, a system doesn't work. You know, some, it wasn't their fault because in management, you know what I do? I fix those processes. If you were to say to me, hey, we tried to get all this room painted, but we didn't have enough paint. I can get you more paint. I can get you more paint a lot easier and a lot faster than if you said, we'd have gotten this done, but that guy over there just stayed all day on his phone. He didn't even pick up the brush all day. He's worthless. I mean, you've got to talk to him. Oh, man, I got to go talk to that guy. What do you want to do? Do you want to go get more paint? Or do you want to talk to that guy? Of course, we just want to go get more paint. Yeah. That's a high-level problem. Low-level problems having to deal with employees who bring it on themselves. But you don't have the choice. That's the other thing that I think a lot of new managers struggle, a lot of managers struggle with is they have this idea that they shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to tell a grown man that he's supposed to be here on time. I shouldn't have to look over their shoulder all the time. I shouldn't have to be a micromanager. I never needed to be a micro needed to be micromanaged. I'm not going to micromanage people. Here's the thing. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, here's the truth. You don't get the choice. You don't get the choice. Forget your, I shouldn't have to. I have to treat you and manage you the way you need to be treated. I have some staff, I have some managers that I can say, hey, I need this, this, and this, and this done. And they go, yeah, no problem. And they get it done without me ever saying another word. Then I have other managers. I say, I need you to get this, this, and this done. And then I have to check in on them every single hour. Did you get it done? Will you send me a picture? I want to see it. No, seminary, I know you said you did. I want to see that you did it. No, could you? I don't want to micromanage him. I don't get the choice. It's not my choice. Employees choose how the manager acts to them. If you're, you prove to be the type of employee or the type of manager under me who doesn't need me to be constantly on you, then I won't be constantly on you. If you're the type of manager who needs me to be constantly on you, I will be constantly on you. And you know what? I'm not going to get an attitude either way because I don't have the attitude that I shouldn't have to. My job is to make sure that the job gets done. Sometimes I lock out and I get an employee or a manager who doesn't need me all the time. And sometimes I have a manager who needs me all the time. Either way, I'm good. I know what my role is to make sure you guys are both in the job zone. But a lot of people have that attitude. I'm not going to be a micromanager. I hate micromanagers. You know who hates micromanagers? People who truly need to be micromanaged. (laughs) (laughs) People who don't need to be micromanaged, they don't even know what that is. They're like, do you like micromanagers? No, I I don't think so. I mean, what does that mean? Do you? Because I'm not micromanaged. Because yeah, you don't need to, <laughs> right? I can do this all day. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we are now coming towards the end of the show, and I just wanted to ask one last thing. Everybody wants to improve. Nobody wants to be, you know, not liked by their team, by the employees, by their bosses. Most people aren't aware of what they're doing, you know, in terms of how they're behaving and how they're coming across, and you know. And, and that's fine. That's great. You can do all the training, uh, like yourself, who does a lot of training and speaking and sharing knowledge. How does, what do you recommend for companies and for, for managers to, how can they make sure that they're always developing and improving themselves as managers, becoming better managers, becoming you know, better employee, better to the employees, better themselves, more self-awareness? What can they do for their ongoing development? I would say- Because everybody, everybody, you know, 
people might have been in different positions. You know, someone might have been promoted from within, someone might have come externally. It's, it might be someone's first promotion as a, you know, in the management position. I would say two things. I would say the first thing I would say is that you've got to start talking about management as you do any organized sport, as you do football you know, or soccer or baseball or how you can break it down and to, to runs batted in or goals. That's how you should start talking about management. And you should start talking about management in that way to other people in positions of leadership. And even some people who are not in a position of leadership, but understand that management, it doesn't matter if I'm the manager of a grocery store, I just got promoted as a manager of a housekeeping department, I just got promoted to management over doctors, I just got promoted to a leadership position in a police station. None of those, those are all subcategories. Police officer, subcategory. Housekeeper, subcategory. School teacher, subcategory. The, the main category is management. And there is a thread. There is a thread that goes across every industry in the entire world when it comes to management. Management weaves its way commonly, repeatable. We're all running into the same issues, the same challenges, the same attitudes, the same struggles. So get a good tribe together of people who are also managing and start talking about managing as uh, uh, about the theory of management. I think it's one of the biggest things that helps me is I have a couple of really, really close friends that I've developed over the years who are just as passionate and excited and hard charging about the, this concept of managing and getting better as I am. And we get on the phone and we talk for hours about it. And we're always solving each other's problems, which is always the best. I have an employee doing, oh, this is what you have to do. And we just get to take that back seat because it's not our employee, it's not our situation, but we get to share how we would do it. It is, understand that in management, it's not like pressing car parts in a factory. You press car parts in a factory. If I brought you in to show you how to do it, I'd say, here, come here, this is the metal. This is the sheet metal. You throw it up on this machine. You press that button and boom. You can't do that in management. You can't go, okay, well, today we're going to learn how to write up an employee. So let's go find somebody doing something wrong. Oh, today on the list, it says we have to deal with the difficult employees. Or, oh, somebody has to be mad at us. Let's go make somebody mad so we can see what that's like. Right? It's, it's completely theoretical until you're in it. But that's what's so super important about being theoretical and being, having a group to talk to. And the other thing I would say about that is when you're trying to choose your group, Choose the group that's already established in the company you're working for. If you get promoted, if you're a housekeeper today and you're getting promoted to a leadership position, your role, you're going to want to go have lunch and have your breaks with the housekeepers that you were with yesterday because that was your tribe. Resist that. Your new tribe is the management team. You've got to go to the management team. You've got to have lunch with the management team. You've got to start hanging out and have, taking your breaks with the management team. That's where you're going to get all your knowledge. That's where you're going to get support and help. You've got to leave that smaller, the, 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 the lower group when you join that higher group. And the second, the second part of your question, so that's the first, the first part of your question is, or I had two answers to my, your, your question, which is, what do you do? How do you do it when you're first getting into a leadership role? And the second thing that I would say is that you've got to start studying leadership. You got to start reading. You got to start thinking, listening to podcasts like this one. You got to start reading, listening to audiobooks. Just start paying attention to the theory of management. And once you do, you're going to realize that 
It's not about you. It is always about them. Always, always, always about the staff. If you learn how to serve your staff effectively, you will never, never, never be without a management job because we're looking for it. We need you. Managers, we need people to step up in all industries. I don't even have an argument about whether or not they're born. Are you born a manager or raised a manager? I have no idea. It doesn't even matter. We need so many managers. I hope that we could just develop you into management and that you're not born because the birth rate is getting crazy low. So <laughs> we're just so dire need for managers. So I hope I've inspired someone to go, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to be a manager. My God, I hope. I hope. Wow, your passion does come across really well and you know, makes me want to read more about leadership and management and learn more about it. Since you've now come to the end of the show, how can people, best way to connect with you, find you, know more about your events and you know, um, ask you questions? The best thing is just to go to ralphpeterson.com and then you'll be able to follow me on any social media platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You name it, I'm, I'm on there and I'm more open than possible. And if you go also go to ralphpeterson.com, you'll see you can buy my books that I've written. I have a new book coming out. So it's, it's all fun. It's all fun. And I'm, I welcome all questions, all comments. Anybody has a question about leadership and being in charge and getting better and solving problems, I'm your guy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazbearaurora.com, that's www.jazbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also, um, go and take the Escape the 95 survey. Uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.